Gresham College presents Symposium, Taking and Giving, Part 4 Philanthropy New at the Intersection of Money and Meaning by Paul Cheng, Founder Trustee, Shared Impact. I'd like to set a little um, historical context to social investment. Um, I think the, you may have heard some of the developments in um, social investment. You may have heard about new financial instruments, social impact bonds, um, new ways of thinking about deployment of capital for social purpose. I think it's important that we see this in the historical context and um, think about some of the trends of why is social investment becoming more important now and why are we hearing so much about it? And the, um, if I can just point to um, some of the trends that I think are, impo- are important. Um, as we look back... And, um, and we are concerned about creating positive change in society. One question is, you know, how effective is philanthropy? You know, philanthropy has been around for some time, and there are many social issues that we care about and want to tackle. But if we continue um, to have these social problems, and we're not really eradicating them, the question um, is begged, you know, are we really being successful, or are we actually just being um, very ineffective at what we do? Also, in the modern context, um, we, have, um, we, we live in a very um, business-oriented society, a consumer society, and the um, new, new types of philanthropists who arrive on the stage have made their money in business and... Um, take a very business-like approach to all aspects of their lives, including their philanthropy. And a number of these um, philanthropists in the last 15 to 20 years are very different from the types of philanthropists that we have seen before. They made a lot of money and are relatively young and are not interested in just simply writing checks. Of course they can write checks, But they're also asking, are we being effective as philanthropists? And just because you're a charity, I'm not going to assume that you are doing good. Can you prove to me that you're doing good? In other words, there's a focus on outcomes. There's a focus on, are you being effective? Not just merely on process, or merely assuming that you have charitable status, that you are effective. So you have these new types of people coming on the philanthropic stage. You have people thinking about outcomes, thinking longer term about how we can really tackle intractable social issues. And also a realisation that perhaps some of the ways that we've been doing philanthropy, um, when we think about it, are perhaps not particularly smart. So, for example, the the three-year project grant, is that really an effective way to solve difficult social issues? Perhaps it takes take much longer to tackle some of the fundamental causes of these social problems. Should, should in fact, we consider tackling a social issue like developing a blockbuster drug? A blockbuster drug takes 25 years from conception to bring to the marketplace and hundreds of millions of pounds to develop. Now, if it takes that to develop a blockbuster drug, does it seem sensible that 
we can create solutions to intractable social problems in a three- to five-year time frame? No, perhaps not. And so these thoughts have been entering the world of philanthropy and a lot of the new philanthropists with their background in technology, with their background in finance, have been looking at ways of more effectively deploying capital for social purpose and reimagining how philanthropy can be done. London is emerging as the global centre for social investment. And I think it's, um, you, on, on your chair, you'll have this um, brochure, and the, um, the picture on the front is a rather fetching picture of London. And that's really appropriate, because London has a history of financial innovation. And over the last 12 years, has really emerged as doing some of the... Um, really interesting thinking around new financial instruments for investing in charities and social enterprises and how we can think of effective ways to augment classic philanthropy and classic grant-making. So it's not a replacement for grant-making, but to a way of increasing the range of financial options open to charities and social enterprises. And one of the key insights of the last 12 years is the fact that we have made a terrible mistake in the way society conceptualizes charity finance. We think of charities as begging bowls. The financial analysis of a charity is, is a begging bowl. And when I say the word charity, it immediately has a visual for you. And the, the visual is very much a rich man giving to a poor man. It's a begging bowl. A charity is a begging bowl. Please give me money. I spend it. I need more money. Now, from a financial analysis point of view, or from an accounting point of view, that is an organization that merely thinks of itself as income and expenditure, the profit and loss account, as it were. No conception of a balance sheet, not much conception of cash flow, little understanding of working capital. But charities are organizations that have to employ people, that have to spend money on overhead. And so is it surprising that they have perhaps the same types of financial needs as perhaps a small business? And yet, we limit charities to one type of financial instrument, the charitable donation, a grant. That's the only way we like to fund them. But why is that? It's very strange, because in your personal life, you have a range of financial instruments open to you. If you want to buy a house, you have long-term secured loan, otherwise known as a mortgage. You have credit cards. If you have a company, you can issue debt, you can issue equity. Why is it that when we enter the world of charities we limit ourselves to one financial instrument. And the reason is because of historical reasons, because we conceptualize the charities as a begging bowl. And social investment has come along to try and really resolve some of the inherent financial problems that this creates. So in particular, the cash flow working capital issues of charities is particularly acute 
Um, grants, for example, are normally paid in arrears. So as a charity, even if you secure your grant, the grant is normally paid in arrears. You do the work first, and then you get paid. Now, if you don't have much of a balance sheet, if you don't have much reserves, that immediately gives you a cash flow problem. But it's not a problem that is particularly difficult to resolve. You, know, you can get working capital loans, a bridging loan. If in the mainstream economy, as a small business, that is what you would do. It's another issue, of course, in the mainstream economy, small businesses, they're also struggling now to get loans. But as a charity, you shouldn't be forced in a situation where you are constantly struggling in a subsistence-type economy, thinking about your working capital. You should be focusing on your mission and your social impact. And so what we need is an efficient capital market that connects the financial needs of charity and social enterprises to supplies of capital, to supplies of the social finance capital to resolve these issues. And that is what has been emerging in the last 12 years in the UK and has now been capturing the imagination of other markets around the world, thinking about building a financial ecosystem that enables charities and social enterprises and other social purpose organisations to have the capital and the um, financial instruments that, are, that is needed to fund their work, not just through income expenditure, but also through their balance sheet and working capital needs. And so that is um, what has been um, in a kind of embryonic R&D um, phase has been occurring in the last 12 years in the UK. And I sort of liken it to 18th century finance. It's very much like being in London in the 18th century when we are sort of thinking about, you know, how do we mitigate risk if we are doing long voyages around the world? You know, company limited by shares. And these, these ideas came about through the 18th century. Um, the idea of insurance in Lloyd's coffee houses. Okay, now we work in Costa and Starbucks, and we're now thinking about social finance. But it's interesting that you know, London remains this vibrant centre of financial innovation. And thinking about the ecosystem of finance. So looking at a central bank for social finance. And the, one of the big developments this year in the UK is the creation of a new wholesale financial institution to fund financial intermediaries, social financial intermediaries. It's called Big Society Capital. So you can see that we are in this very exciting world where a new financial services institution, new financial services industry is growing up around charities and social enterprises. And I believe that in you know, 50 to 100 years' time, when people look back on this stage, this time, it will be seen as one of the golden ages of social investment. And it's, it's, a, um, it's a particular poignant time because the financial crisis has um, really brought up into sharp relief a lot of these issues. We are trying to, in fact, create an alternative financial system and rethinking some fundamental concepts. For example, in social investment, we talk about the balancing of financial and social returns, investing for a financial return, not necessarily a profit-maximising one, 
and social returns and thinking about social impacts and positive social outcomes for society. So as we think as investors, as social investors in this world, we're having to rethink some fundamental concepts. So the idea of not being profit-maximizing, profit but being profit-optimizing. What does risk mean in the world of social investment? What does risk mean in the world of a mainstream commercial investment? These are very thorny, tricky um, issues that I think we do need a national debate around, and yet we, because they are so, so difficult, these issues to think about, that we um, generally don't have the right um, national conversation around this. But we should do, because I think these are issues that we all really care about. So the idea of risk, for example, is um, a particularly problematic one. In the world of social investment, people naturally think about financial risk when they think about investment. But in the world of social investment, we need to think about other types of risk. So the concept of social impact risk is something that we need to get our heads around. So what does that mean? The idea that if you're investing for a financial and a social outcome, the social impact risk is the probability of you achieving or not achieving the specified social outcome that you aim to achieve at the outset of the investment. So how do we think about these concepts and how do we introduce these concepts into our thinking? It's extremely challenging because a lot of our uh, fundamental concepts in finance and in, in accounting are so deeply embedded that it's going to take a long time to change them. Um, I think Tim mentioned um, or alluded to the fact that it's very odd that you know, charitable foundations um, have a tax break, obviously. They get um, a tax break by being, having charitable status. And yet when you look at how they manage their assets, it's, it's very odd because what they do is most of the assets, the endowments, are put into mainstream commercial investments and the income from those investments is used for making the grants. But that means that we've given, as a society, charitable institutions a tax break, but 95% of the assets are not pursuing any kind of social mission at all. It's being invested in purely commercial um, markets. Now, is that a good deal for society? You know, it, seems, it, it seems slightly strange. But to change this, we have to challenge some very ingrained concepts. Um, now, leaving aside the, uh, the concepts in you know, UK GAAP and accounting, which in itself is a huge topic, but in legal terms, you know, the idea of fiduciary duty. In your fiduciary duty, you have to invest uh, to maximise the financial returns of your assets. But that does not admit to um, anything around social impact. Supposing if you care not just about financial returns, but also social and environmental and community returns. So these concepts are not embedded at all in our financial and accounting systems. And so, so you can see the scale of the problem. You know, even if we can all agree on the strategy going forward and what we need to do, there's some real, very deep legal um, 
problems embedded in the fabric of our society. So that is the world of social investment, and um, there is a small growing community of us trying to feel our way to develop new institutions, new organisations, new funds with track records to encourage more people to come in and join in in this, in this movement. Taking a little bit about shared impact. So shared impact is one example, and there are lots of other players in this market, but this is one example of the sorts of things that we're trying to do. So shared impact is creating a secondary market for social investment products. So there are a number of new social investment products being developed, whether it's community share, social impact bonds, um, various types of charitable bonds, like Scope, for example, um, issued a £20 million bond recently. These are really exciting products. And that, but for members of the general public, you really cannot get involved in any of this at the moment. It's only open really to high net worth individuals and institutions. And yet the general public is the most significant source of charitable funds. So the general public gives away, you and I, you know, £10.6 billion every year to charity. Roughly £10.6 into collecting tins, into payroll giving, charitable donations, at £10.6 billion, including some gift aid. And not, not everyone claims a gift aid, which is another issue. £10.6 billion versus foundations giving grants of around £4.5 billion. So you can see the general public is a significant source of funds, but it's highly fragmented. What Shared Impact and others are trying to do is to create platforms that allow the aggregation and participation of the general public into social investment. And we are already seeing um, other types of aggregating online platforms that show that this works. If you can really create efficient online platforms that are compellingly marketed and well-designed, the, there is there's real um, hunger for um, people to really invest in, in these things. And ultimately, we want the pension funds and you know, for your savings to be, um, so that you can deploy these into social investment if you so wish. So, for example, in the future, perhaps it's some way off, but why can't you direct your pension fund into investing in your local community for financial return, but also for the social impacts? Now, it's, it's going to take time to develop this. It's a new financial services industry, as I say, and we're having to... It's, uh, the, the analogy I give is a, is a bit like starting an, an internet company, but you're having to build the internet as well at the same time. So it's, it's quite challenging. And we're having to bring together a whole team of people who are not normally considered to be a part of the charity sector. So people from technology, people from the financial services industry, um, people from behavioural economics, to actually look and design these new products and services. So it's a really exciting time, but it's a huge challenge. The UK is leading the way, um, followed closely by the United States, and like a lot of um, British innovations, I suspect the United States will eventually scale up a lot of the innovations that we develop here.
Uh, and it's really also pushing other countries with very different cultural contexts to think about philanthropy and about deployment of capital for social purpose um, in, in ways that I think um, are challenging the traditional ways of philanthropy and international aid, for example. So, for example, a lot of international aid has been criticism about international aid, about how effective it is. Is it, to a large extent, a, an industry that is very much serving itself? And is it also very neo-colonialist in that you know, it's kind of very patronising that um, you know, um, you know, the aid, for example, is going from you know, the West to developing countries? And, and should we not be, perhaps, um, helping you know, in-country support and helping um, people to help themselves? Um, so there are these sort of trends also beginning to take off. I think there's also a generational shift happening as well. So um, you know, people in their 20s, for example, um, view philanthropy and view their in, uh, civic engagement in perhaps very different ways. I think there is a huge generational gap um, you know, around... I think there's a lot of disillusionment um, between, between generations at the moment. And I think um, you know, young people are getting very much involved in entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship. And I think that the way they engage in philanthropy is going to change dramatically over the next 10 to 20 years. I think, the, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about young people and philanthropy. Um, there's been some debate in the sector recently about um, the fact that you know, um, older people tend to give more to charity... Um, and young people are not so interested. And I question whether that's really true. So, you know, people say that young people don't give to charity. And often it's not that they don't give to charity, but often the medium is important. So it's true that young people do not give to charity by cheque, but they do by SMS text donation. So um, what do we think about philanthropy and social media and the new technologies and how do we engage young people? I think the future of charitable fundraising, for example, is going to look a lot like the Obama political campaign. The way the Obama campaign uses technology and social media and to data mine, um, uh, to really, to data mine to really understand their constituents are the sorts of techniques that we'll see growing for charitable fundraising. So I think all these trends are beginning to um, blend and um, in some ways clash, and we'll see these as the drivers of the new philanthropy over the next 10 to 20 years. And it's a really exciting time as all this develops. And I think it also reflects the nature of the new society and the modern society that we live in. As consumers, we expect choice and we expect information and control and everything at the click of a mouse. And that we expect in all aspects of our lives. And I think philanthropy and the charity sector has been somewhat slow in realising this. But it's um, gradually, gradually, these are the drivers of the biggest changes and this sort of seismic shifts that are happening in philanthropy over the next 20 years. Thank you. For all information, please visit www.gresham.ac.uk.